Well, it's great, great, great to be with you all this morning, and um, we're going to continue in our series, Way of Love series in 1 Corinthians. So if you want to go to chapter 4, um, we're going to look at that this morning. But just to say before I begin, uh, this week, uh, many of you might know already that um, Tim Keller, an amazing, amazing man who's been such a key part of preaching the gospel in such a uh, life-affirming way, passed away at age 72 from pancreatic cancer. And I was just reflecting on his life. He's, um, you know, sometimes in your life you have people that are close to you, that you know personally, and they are disciple your life and help you through friendship. And then you have other people that disciple you through books and podcasts and reading. And I want to encourage you to also find someone in your life that does that for you. And for me, Tim Keller has been a key, key person in my life for many years. The books that I've read, uh, his podcasts, his um, articles, just the person that he is. And I was so grateful that even though he um, passed away and is now in glory, um, that he was a man who went to the end without any controversy in his life. Isn't that refreshing? No financial controversy, no leadership controversy, no immorality, nothing. He just faithfully got on preached the gospel, lived it out, and now he's in glory. Isn't that wonderful? And I want to encourage you just to um, read as much as you can and read good books. Don't read books of people that are pop theologians that have kind of the latest pop kind of revelation. Read good, solid people that have shown through their lives that they love Jesus and they've demonstrated that over many, many years. Amen? And I really hope that you would be encouraged by his testimony of his life. Father, uh, remember we've come to the end of this first section. Remember in, in Corinthians, there's seven problems that Paul is addressing the church. And the first problem has been around division and that they've preferred certain people in the church over others and doing to their speaking skill and their personality. And now he's concluding this argument, which started in chapter one. He's now in chapter four and he's bringing it to an end. And this is kind of his summarizing statement, and he says this in, in verse 14 of chapter 4. He says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, and I'm reading from the ESV. If you're reading from the NIV, it's, it's, it says slightly different words, but uh, I've done that on purpose. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For although you have countless guides or guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. And that is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of the arrogant people, but their power. For I, the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come with a rod or in love in a spirit of gentleness? And so here Paul concludes his argument to them. He's concluding what he's been trying to teach them in the first four chapters. Uh, it's making his point once again about their love of wisdom and human people uh, that has brought division into the church. And he's trying to drive this point home and press it home so that they'll start to live differently. 
He wants them to live differently. And I think for me, that's really the point of good teaching, of good preaching, that ultimately at the end of the day, it should inspire us and help us to live our Christian lives differently. That's what it's there for. It's to root the gospel in our lives so we can live differently. So how then is Paul going to do this? How is he encouraging them? And here I said the word admonish is particular in this portion. And um, I want to just start there because he starts in verse 14 by reminding them. He starts his rebuke. He starts his final admonishment by pointing once again to the fact that they are his dear children. Okay, and he says, I'm not, I'm not saying this, I'm not doing this to shame you. That's such a thing in our culture, isn't it? Shame people, cancel them when they don't do what we want. Paul says, I'm not, I'm not writing this, I'm not, my attitude is not to shame you, it's not to put you down, rather it's to admonish you. And uh, I think, um, what does it say in the NRV? It says, warn. I think it says, warn you. But... Admonish is a good word because admonish has the connotation in it of trying to correct people or correct your friend or someone in your life without provoking them and without embittering them. You know that you can do that in people's lives when you correct some people? Uh, if you don't do it with the right heart attitude, it embitters them. It gets their backs up and they don't, they don't learn. And Paul's saying, I'm not trying to do that to you. I don't want to get your back up. I don't want you to get bitter. I want you to be encouraged in this what I'm bringing to you, and it is difficult of what I'm about to say, but my heart is to admonish you as a father, not as someone who's lording it over you. And that's what a good father ultimately wants to do for all of his child, children, and that's what Paul is trying to do here. And I find it really interesting in Paul's writing, he never calls people his disciples. He never calls them his converts. He always calls them his children. Have you noticed that when you read his letters? He always says, my dear children, and why does he do that? Well, simply because, in a sense, because they are his converts that he's preached the gospel to them. He's become a father to them in the gospel. And that's why he calls himself father. And here, the tone of these last verses in chapter 4 is so important because it shows Paul's heart as a father admonish, admonishing his wayward children to try and get them back on track. Does that make sense to you? He's not, he's not taking out a whip. He, he's, he's not kind of being heavy-handed. It's with the love of a father that he's saying these things. And he says right at the end, you can see this in the words that he speaks in verse 20 and 21. He says, the kingdom of God does not consist in talk. The, the word there is logos, many words. Not in many words, but in power. The word there is dynamis where we get dynamite from, power by the Holy Spirit. And he says then, what do you wish? Do you want me to come to you with a rod or with, the love, with love in a spirit of gentleness? And I love what Tom Wright says in, in, in commenting on this portion. He says it's a modern equivalent would be like um, you're getting caught for speeding by a p police uh, officer and you kind of know because he's wearing a uniform that you're in trouble and you're kind of waiting in the car and you've got that anxious feeling and, you know, he says, get out of the car, sir. Do you know you were speeding? And you have to kind of explain yourself. He, he says, is Paul doing the same thing like a spiritual policeman handing out the equivalent of a, sp a spiritual speeding ticket and letting lecturing them and saying, how many more times do I have to tell you not to drive so fast? You've had so many chances now. No more. Here's your fine. Is, that's Paul, is, is, he's saying that's not Paul's attitude. He's not doing it like that. Rather, he's making a point in a slightly 
tongue-in-cheek kind of way. He's teasing them a little bit, and he, we know that from verse 15 because he says, you have, you have countless thousands of guardians in Christ, but you only got one father, all right? And he's kind of teasing them. He says, I know that you've got lots of, you know, lots of guardians, lots of, uh, the NIV says, gods, but you know, you've only got one father in Christ. And what is he saying through that? He's, he's kind of drawing again on a family kind of metaphor of the day. And a guardian was normally a slave in the household, a trusted slave, who was given the responsibility of taking the children, mainly the sons in the house, to school and back, and to coach them in good behavior and manners while he did that. So, right, that, that was the function of a guardian. Like a babysitter, but much more. And often, if you read Roman history, the guardians didn't always get it right because there were many wayward sons doing many things in the culture that they were trying to hold back. And so that's what a guardian is in, in Paul's day. This trusted slave who the father let's take care of his sons. And so this metaphor is that Paul is saying, you have many people like that, many guardians, many guards, and he's not doing that to put down the other teachers like Apollos and Peter. He's saying that he's doing that to show the different relationship that he has with the church. He's saying, I'm not just like a guardian, one of many people that's helped you along the way. You must realize I'm your father. I'm the head of the household, and I'm coming back to the house. That's what he's really saying. He's using that metaphor. And he says, do you want me to come back like a dad brandishing a stick and saying, children, you get into line? Or do you want me to come back like a dad should come back with saying, a big smile on his face and saying, it's so good to be home. That's what he's saying. So how do you want me to come? With a stick or just with open arms and saying, it's great to be home with you guys. My children. Yeah, that's the difference. That's what he's driving at. And so he's asking this question in a kind of teasing way. And as he does it, he's reasserting his authority in the church that been, uh, has been um, corroded away. And he's appealing to their loyalty as, as he does that. And so that's why he adds in verse 15, I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. He's really trying to explain his point. And so for Paul, the power that he has in the church is not just because he first preached the gospel. The power that Paul has is because through prayer and the Holy Spirit, when he preaches, something happens. Yes? Something happens when Paul preaches. What happens when Paul preaches? Um, people's hearts and minds are changed. People that know they are, have sinful ways in their lives repent and they start to change and be transformed by the power of the gospel. That's what Paul's point is. Through prayer and the Holy Spirit, when he preaches and teaches this gospel, something happens in people's lives. And when he focuses on the death and resurrection of Jesus, people start to be transformed. That's his point. And so it's not just about the many words, logos, human wisdom, the best debater, the best person with the most eloquent rhetoric. It's not just about that, Paul. He's saying it's not about the words. It's not about the wisdom. It's not about the logical argument. It's not about the great preaching. It's about dunamis. It's about the power of the Holy Spirit to transform you. And that's what happens when I preach, he's saying. And so he's saying, I'm not the necessarily the best communicator in the Greek style. Remember, we talked about the Greek kind of guys that went around with their arguments, preaching and 
trying to win people to their arguments in a philosophical way. And they all had their band of disciples. And actually, if you read ancient history, they made a lot of money. They were like the keynote speakers of their day, going around to all the places of learning and getting paid to kind of give their new revelation. And Paul says, I'm not like that. And that's what I'm a father to you. It's a completely different thing. And so in other places like 2 Corinthians 13, Paul again uses the thing of saying, I'm not trying to put anyone down. I'm simply trying to build you up. And verse 13 of uh, 2 Corinthians, sorry, verse 10 of 2 Corinthians 13 says this. Uh, Paul again writing, I write these things while I'm away from you, but when I come, I might not have to be severe in my use of my authority that the Lord has given me, but only to build up and not to tear down. You see, he, said, he says it again to Corinthians. His heart is father to them to build them up in their lives and to encourage them. And so he takes this father-child imagery a little bit further uh, in doing, and then he, he, he highlights this whole point of the whole paragraph. And he says to them that they should remember the way that he was when he was amongst them and follow him. And then he says these amazing words in verse 16. He says, because I am your father in Christ, because I've introduced you to the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit, I urge you then to be imitators of me. Whenever I read that, I found myself like, it's just like an amazing thing that happens in my heart. Can I really say to other people, I urge you then to be imitators of me as I follow Christ. And when you look at my life, you're going to see who Jesus is. That's what Paul is saying. And he actually says in verse um, 17 that if you've forgotten how I was in my life, then look at Timothy. Because Timothy's my faithful son, and actually, if you've forgotten what my life was like, look at Timothy's life, and you're going to see his life was exactly the same as mine, and he will, too will show you what it means to follow Jesus. That's an incredible thing to say, isn't it? That's what Paul is saying. And then, um, I think, as I'm saying this, we should always remind ourselves when we read Paul's letters, um, and it's also especially in the 21st century that is hostile to the gospel, that nobody in Corinth or in the ancient world outside of Palestine had ever seen someone living like Paul lived. His life was one of generosity. It was one of self-sacrifice. He was laying himself down to be a blessing to other people. He wasn't being drawn into the power politics of his day. He wasn't being in, drawn into the religious debates of his day. He wasn't trying to climb the corporate ladder of public speaking like the sophists were, the wisdom teachers of the day that were going around preaching their particular thing and, like I said, making a lot of money. He lived completely differently. He was different. He showed people through his life and modeled through his life what it meant to be a Jesus disciple, what it meant to follow Jesus. A completely different thing. And so that's why he says, if you've forgotten what I, how I was amongst you because I haven't been with you for a while, look at Timothy, verse 17. That's why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Amazing. Uh, hopefully in God, God, we can be like that in this church, all of us to each other, that we can learn, young and old, to show people what Jesus is like about how we live our lives and what we value and what we put our attention on. And so this theme, if you look at Paul's letters, 
of imitating his life is quite, quite a common one. It's found in many places. For example, uh, Thessalonians 1 verse 6, 1 Thessalonians 3, 1 Corinthians 11, Philippians 3, 1 Timothy 1, 2 Timothy 1, Galatians 4. Paul says over and over and over again, imitate me. Follow me as I follow Christ. Look in my life. See what God has done in me, and you will see God, what God can do in your life. Isn't that an amazing thought? And this is the reality. So for Paul, Paul is not like a lecturer. Paul is not like Obi-Wan Kenobi going around saying, you are all my Padawans. He's not, he's, that's not his heart. That's not how he lives. You know, he says, I've got a lot of problems in my life. And if you look at it and you read in other places how many problems he does have in his life, he shares his life with them as a father. And he doesn't live above them. This is what I love. This is what I've learned about good leadership in the church. Good leadership is never above people. Paul never uses the language of I'm above you. He says, I am with you. I walk alongside you. I am your friend. I'm your far, like a father to you. Come, let's walk together, and we're going to walk arm in arm. That is good leadership. That's the Bible picture of leadership. And yet we have such a distorted view of leadership in our culture that it's like the gurus that speak. No, no, Paul wasn't a guru. He was just simply saying, I'm a father to you, and you're my children, and I want all of you to do really well. And this is how we're going to do well together. We're going to link arms. We're going to be alongside each other. We're going to learn from each other, and we're going to sharpen each other like iron sharpens iron, and we're going to learn about Jesus together. And actually, I do want to say that he's done something in my life, and as you look at my life, you can see Jesus, and I can show you who Jesus is by the way I live. Completely different thing. Amen? Be imitators of me as I follow Christ. And then he gets a little bit more direct. And he says in verse 18, because he knows he's about to come back and visit them, he says, some of you have become arrogant. So now he's being a little bit more fatherly in a direct way. And he says, some of you have been arrogant. And this means at least two things to me. It, it means that there has been trouble and opposition in the whole church. And everyone in the whole church has been affected a little bit by these guys that have been uh, saying these things. But he's also recognizing that within the whole, there's a small group of people that have instigated it. <laughs> and he's saying, so he's saying to the ringleaders, he's kind of letting them know, I'm coming back. <laughs> I'm coming back, and then we're going to see. And he's not threatening them. He's just kind of saying it in a, in a, in a challenging way. And he's saying, he says, he says, when I come back, we're going to see. The ringleaders in the church, we're going to see if you've only got Logos, in other words, worldly wisdom and lots of words and rhetoric and the best debate. We're going to see if you've only got that or if you've got dunamis, if you've got Holy Spirit power. That when you speak, people change. People get saved. People are transformed. People are renewed. They're encouraged. They're refreshed. That's what I'm interested in, and I'm not afraid of the challenge. That's what Paul is saying. I'm coming back. We'll see. We'll see who's got dunamis, and we'll see who's just got logos. He's, so Paul, for Paul, he's not interested in lifting up worldly wisdom. What the culture says needs to be valued. He's interested in lifting up Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit that transform, transforms people perfectly from the inside out. He says, I'm interested in dunamis by the Holy Spirit. That's what I'm interested in. And when I come back, we're going to see. And so his claim is that he, he is has the Holy Spirit, and that will be shown in a dynamic thing that happens in the lives of people. And he's quite confident that he can 
confront these arrogant people and that they lack true power in the spirit. And so the challenge is summed up really at the end of the passage in verse 20 with these simple words, for the kingdom of God is not about logos, not about many words, not about great rhetoric. The kingdom of God is about power, dunamis, Holy Spirit changing, transforming, regenerating people, saving them, healing them, giving them a hope and a future. That's what the kingdom of God is about. Amen. And so he's concluding his um, argument, like I said, it began in chapter one, and he wants the Corinthians once again, he's just driving it home. I've said he comes from so many different angles over those chapters, and he says the same thing over and over again, and he's appealing once again that they would stop their fascination with worldly wisdom, which has caused them to boast and take sides against Paul and the gospel that he preaches. And in doing so, they've missed out on the amazing, amazing blessing of Jesus as the crucified Messiah. They've missed out on all of that as they find about their favorite guy. And so Paul is, in doing this, he's reasserting his authority, but he's not, he's not appealing primarily as the great apostle who planted the church. He's appealing primarily through the metaphor of a father correcting his children. Man, only the church could get that right. Yes, fathers in the church. I've said this many times, not businessmen, not CEOs, not people that want to start new ventures, fathers that love people. And so I finished by saying this. He's hoping that they're going to listen. He's hoping that they're going to give ear to what he's saying, and it's going to change their theology, and it's going to change the behavior. That's what he appeals to. He appeals to their hearts, and he says, this is who I am. This is what God has done in me. And you can look at my life, and I'm encouraging you to change. That's what he says, like a father. And so I want to just land on this this morning as we try and apply it to our lives. I mean, what can we learn from this? Well, I think it reveals some real tensions in what it means to be a Christian and what it means to live a Christian life, and what I, what, 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 even in the 21st century. And I mean this, I mean, how can we be prophetic to other people? How can, how can we show them who God is without being harsh, without implying that we are above them or, or above their sin that they are dealing with? How, how can we do that? That's Paul, what Paul is trying to do. He's, he's trying to find a way to, to kind of speak into these people's lives. How can we get people to change their behavior to conform with the gospel pattern when they think too highly of themselves and they think they actually don't need to learn anything i mean that's what paul is facing here so how do we do that how do we how do we inspire people how do we help them to see who jesus is in the gospel is and change their behavior their outward behavior to conform with their inward reality without being overbearing without being harsh without being condescending how do we do that well you can see from these verses and this first four chapters of corinthians it's not easy and there's no easy formula there's no formula in all of this. And all of us should be striving to point people towards Jesus, absolutely. And as we do that, part of that challenge is we have to call people to repentance as long as we too are allowing the sword to go through our own hearts and we are changing along the way. Isn't that true? That, that, that is authenticity. That's being real. If we're calling people to repentance and we're not repentant ourselves, our hearts are not soft to the gospel ourselves, then we are purely just hypocrites. 
So Paul is saying he, he doesn't want to do that. And thirdly, I, I, I want to just say that this really challenges me so deeply, the phrase of Paul simply saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I find that profoundly challenging. I don't know what you feel in your life, but for me, that is the most amazing thing. Surely, that little phrase, imitate me, has high implications for all of us as Christian believers if we are going to seek to convert people to Christ. Yes? And that's only possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. Only possible as we keep our hearts soft, as we enlarge our own hearts for in love to other people, that we can show people who Jesus is by how we live. And we can confidently say, yes, I know my Father. I know my Savior. I know what He's done in my life. And I can show you something of who He is. Imitate me, and you will see something of who Jesus is. And so we should all be able to say over the course of our lives, do, do, do as I do and not just what I say. Amen? Do as I do and not just what I say. And I don't say that to condemn anyone. I don't say that to put any kind of striving on you. But I do say that to encourage you to open your heart and soften your heart to the gospel and Jesus yourself so that as he transforms you, everyone else is going to see it anyway. And people are going to ask and say, well, Ed, what's God doing in your life? And you can confidently tell him, that person, whoever asks. And so if the basic way we are to show who Jesus is is by example, then our own obedience should surely increase in every area of our lives. I don't know about you, but I find that an incredible challenge. And may God give us all grace and courage to allow Jesus into the deep parts of our heart to transform us so that as we change, we can show others who Jesus is. Amen. That's Paul's encouragement. That's Paul's admonishment right at the end. I write these things, he says, not to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For although you might have countless thousands of guides, guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That's why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Jesus as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, in logos, it consists of power, dynamis. What do you wish? Shall I come with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you so much for the power of your word, the simplicity of your word. Thank you for faithful men like Paul who did not shrink back from preaching and teaching of who you were to the early church. Thank you for faithful men and women in our own day like Tim Keller and many, many others that faithfully have preached your word without holding back allowing it to transform them, their own hearts, while they preach it to others. And God, I pray 
that we would be able to say over the courses of, of our lives, every single one of us, do as I do, imitate me, because you will see something of who Jesus is. Help us by the power of your Spirit. Help us to do that. You are perfect, and Lord Jesus, you're the only one who can do that on the inside of us. And so we once again open our hearts and ask that you'd come, that you'd fill us, refresh us, renew us, so that through our lives many can, can see who you are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.